Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you like scary movies, Sydney? Which makes a movie that deals in our fears universal. Hello, and welcome back to Do You Like Scary Movies, a series that dives into the world behind cinema, exploring the themes and fears throughout the horror genre. On our first episode, we explored the origins of horror talking Méliès, monsters, and the universal blockbusters that ruled cinema in the first half of the 20th century. On this episode, we tackle the atomic phase, as well as the first renaissance of horror. And to join me on this journey, I'm thrilled to once again welcome Theo Trainer to delve into this interesting time in cinema history. Theo, how are you keeping? I see I'm not a writer or director anymore. <laughs> no, we take that credit away. Um, I'm alright, yeah. Pretty good. I'm moving out. At the as we speak, That's I'm taking a break to record spooky. this. Spooky, ooh, that is spooky. Scary, scary. So, what were your like biggest takeaways from the first episode? Obviously, it's been a week. We've had time to sit and reset. What are your biggest takeaways? What's looming in on your mind from the origins of the horror genre? Um, oh, what is looming on my mind? What is it? Well, I can tell you what I learned. I did. I learned about the German. Uh, influence of horror in the early days. Yeah, the uh, expressionism. The, the first, yeah, the first uh, <laughs> blockbuster studio was probably Universal. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how they saw the light in the genre and the, the future, and we how appreciative we are of <laughs> these corporations. We love um, it. Big up yeah, capitalism. Lots, lots of takeaways. Big up capitalism. <laughs> Woo! Um, yeah, love it. Excited, excited for the next years. Me too. I feel like what we're going to discuss today on the podcast is yeah. my sort of safe place in the horror genre. You know, it's where a lot of my favorite films come from. It's where you know we get our 
um, Alfred Hitchcock's. It's where we get our Carrie, and we know our thoughts on Carrie if you listen to our earlier series. Amazing. Um, it's a great, oh, yeah. great time for <laughs> horror, and it's one that really, really establishes it as a leading film genre of the time. And mm. obviously, that has never left. So I'm very grateful for this time in horror. And I think they're sick of us. Should we just get into it? The Atomic Age describes a time in horror when society faced the destructive consequences of the Second World War and the beginning of the Cold War. This era of horror not only reflects cultural anxieties surrounding nuclear technology and Cold War politics, it also showcases the repressive social structures in a decade packed with social revolution and uprising. In the 1950s, the world was still shattered by the war years and a global bid for dominance opened up. Countries such as the USA, the USSR and all of the East all began competing for the top spot in the pecking order, leading to a race to develop more advanced nuclear arsenals and to achieve spaceflight. As a reflection upon these anxieties, the horror films of the 50s and the decades to follow blurred the lines between horror and science fiction, capitalising on creatures and events from Fallout. The best example of this anxiety having been translated through film is with 1958's The Fly a sci-fi horror film about a scientist who, through testing his handmade teleportation device, accidentally becomes morphed with the housefly. The revelation of this freak accident is framed within a narrative in which people cloak the truth. First, the scientist's wife conceals what happened, then authorities refuse to believe her and prosecute her when she confesses. This framed narrative offers an example of the distrust and fear people placed in new technology. Okay, Theo. The Cold War felt everywhere impacting art is this a trend we still see in horror um i don't you know thinking about it i don't think it is as much i don't think there's really been any sort of well i mean i don't know has there been many virus influenced like horror films recently i seen one you know i think called alive Hashtag alive, maybe. Alive. Um, I think it came out like yeah. 2020, 2021. Um, so I, I do mm, think, okay. especially See, with the trend of a lot of, um, I don't want to name it Skype horror, but you know that sort of... Oh. <gasps> yeah. I feel like Unfriended. we're currently living I'm in like... its world at the minute. <laughs> right, okay. Still. Yeah, I would say. I saw, um, it was called Missing. I saw recently, um, and it was made in lockdown. And to be fair, it didn't take place in a oh, lockdown right. world, but like the whole like thing was done through like webcams and like small right. little scenes okay. and stuff like that. But it was it was still really good. But um, okay. I do feel well, like this was then it will, yeah, yeah. Whatever events or whatever's going on will always reflect in any art periodic. Yeah, we discussed in the last um... episode. Um, the sort of cultural anxiety in Germany um, before the war, right. how it reflected in German expressionism and how it actually led to the first sort of distinguishable aesthetic of horror. Um, so I think this is just uh-huh. another classic example of it. Right, yeah. Very true. Very true. And I have, I've not I have seen The question. Fly. I'm kind of scared of it. <laughs> the Fly is quite good. It's from that age of horror where it's not really scary. It's sort of amusing to look at because of how far we oh, came. Oh, we Right, it's it's the, the their practical effects kind of vibe. Isn't yeah, it? Or is it's kind of like Loki. Can I think of the thing? You could think of the thing. I might be you thinking can of think the of thing, the birds. You know. It's all very like 
What are okay, they doing? Yeah. Which obviously in the time we saw a costume from the birds. We saw a costume from the birds. But yeah, all right. Qu- another question. Another question. Obviously, we've like right, talked right, right, about right. how cultural anxiety is explored in horror. Do you think horror is the only genre with the ability to do that, or do you think you can explore that in like a romance or an action or mm. a fantasy? Like, do you think it always has to be horror with these gritty and dark and taboo topics? No, not not necessarily horror. I don't think. Well, I mean, I feel like it's probably the most effective way because we like I think we said last episode about. Um, how horror reflects our deepest like <laughs> thoughts and fears the yeah. best because obviously, um. But I mean, I feel like you can get you can get it across like a thriller. I feel like, right, or a sort of fucking drama of <laughs> Oscar bit drama. Yeah, like very the hell. But I mean, yeah, I, definitely horror. Yes, the most effective. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I feel like horror is the sort of quickest turnaround when it comes to stuff like that um yeah just because you can't go abstract without fear of offending someone um Very true. if you're making That's a drama point. say we were to make a drama yeah. about the pandemic that just happened i feel like okay everyone would like have to chime in with their 2p do you know what i mean they would all have their own thought they would all be like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is right, but you've done this wrong. Where if you were going to take that abstractly and make it into a horror film, people couldn't argue as much, but it would still be about the same thing. Which I think is why horror has a strength that other genres don't necessarily have. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Very, very that, I like that, very actually. That. I'm, good. I'm poetic well today, thank you. Audiences and filmmakers during this time were also seriously concerned about the new prospect of delving into space travel, which is evident due to the oversaturated market of extraterrestrial movies in these years. Fears of alien life may have been propelled not only by the socio-political prevalence of the space race, but also by the relatively new phenomenon of UFO sightings. In 1952, Project Blue Book was begun by the US Air Force with the purpose of documenting alleged UFO sightings in the US. Until its closure in 1969, there were more than 12,000 sightings or events, each of which was ultimately classified as identified or unidentified. The latter category, approximately 6% of the total, included cases for which there was insufficient information to make an identification with a known phenomenon. Small towns where aliens invaded America's inner core were the settings for the films It Came From Outer Space and Invaders From Mars. The seemingly secure setting of the small town was no safer than the urban areas where atomic assaults may occur. It was impossible to distinguish between real Americans and the enemy, since the invaders were able to assume the identity of the townsfolk or exert mental control over them. Whether they were scientists or an innocent child, those who were aware of the adversary found it challenging to persuade others of the truth. These topics all depict the Cold War era social and political paranoia. Perhaps the most successful example of a reflection of these fears is 1956's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. In this film, extraterrestrial plant spores reach the Earth and then replicate individual humans in every capacity except the ability to emote or experience individual selfhood. These movies scared audiences across the nation as it was an embodiment of their fears. Theo, did you ever find Mm. alien movies scary? Yeah. Really? Honestly, I think, you know, 
it depends if you call this movie a horror film, but I found it terrifying as a child. You know signs, right? Signs, yes, I do. Signs, yeah. Um, scared the fucking shit out of me whenever. Really? Like it's like an early memory of something that scared me as a child. You know, whenever I think it was like the footage on the yeah. news where like it's they show it was yes. like some kid's birthday and like they're all screaming and the alien like walks across <laughs> and then it's like ah I yeah that that scared me as a child. I think I always find alien movies a bit unsettling. Interesting. See, I to me like whenever I was younger, like don't shoot me, but I don't really believe in aliens. So whenever I was well, growing to up, to what degree? <laughs> to the degree where I don't think I believe in they like little other bacterias. Oh, you don't think there's any form of intelligent life anywhere? Not intelligent. Anywhere? I think there's life, but I don't think intelligent. Um, well, but because you're up in your own hole, are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really smart. But you know how <laughs> because... big the universe is. Yeah, but I just don't believe it. Sorry, I just don't. But to me then, because I was growing up, and whenever I would look at horror, I like the religious trauma would scare me, the sort of occult would scare me, because that was all stuff I believed in and I could see happening. But whenever okay. I would watch an alien or like an extraterrestrial-based could... horror film, yeah. I would like take a back seat and be like, I'm not scared, I don't believe this shit. Yeah, you can suspend your disbelief. Yeah, exactly. So it was like a more peaceful right. sort of subgenre for me because I didn't believe in aliens so I there was really no threat for me but I think as well whenever all these films were being produced whenever they were all being released it was the height of the space race you know people had such a focus on space right. and because it was something so undiscovered and so unknown it was perfectly valid yes. to believe in these little green beings coming down for your kids do you know what I mean Right. I feel like that fear was more. Okay. To be fair, apparent. I, I personally just don't have a lot of experience with like the early days of <laughs> alien movies, so maybe they are not as scary to me. <laughs> like the big fucking dome heads, like. I thought you were like gonna those. say you don't, don't personally know. have as much experience with spears. <laughs> <laughs> I personally haven't been. Neither actually. Um, not yet. No, but like I don't know. I feel like it is. It, I like it because there's like kind of that possibility in a way okay, that there is yeah. something like a fucking xenomorph like somewhere millions and millions of miles away that'll fucking kill you if it ever saw you like i don't know i kind of like it yeah no fair enough i i hear that but also like do you think obviously there was a bit of anxiety and a bit of fear surrounding space and especially space travel and space flight do you think horror helped that or do you think horror made it worse Sorry, say that again. Do I think horror made... Do you think horror, like, lent into people's anxieties and, like, cured them oh. of it a bit? Or do you think it oh. made it worse? I think it made it worse. <laughs> yeah, I think it was helpful. Because you literally thinking about how everyone, like, has, like, fucking UFO sightings in the US and, mm. like, things are, things are worlds are ending and all, like, oh, they're coming to get us! And it's, like, because of these fucking movies. <laughs> I've been, like, instilled in our brains forever. Yeah, but it's so slow. <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I love yeah. it. Um, I love it. I love it so much. Arguably, the most beloved period of cinematic horror for critics, scholars, and fans is the one that roughly spans from 1968 to 1979, known as the First Renaissance. These years saw the birth of 
politically and socially aware horror flicks stemming from the fears explored in the atomic age in the aftermath of war. These movies painted illustrations of untrustworthy authorities and presented human actions as insufficient in taking down a threat. These films gave audiences feelings of dread throughout the showcase of brutality, cruelty and made metaphorical allusion to several social ills of the era, including racism, civil unrest, the collapse of the family institution, Watergate spawned paranoia and the Vietnam War. The intensity of this era is partly due to the lack of finance and horror at the time, resulting in low budget productions which shot outside of the Hollywood system and allowed filmmakers to explore topics usually forbidden in conventional horror. This was horror's alternative phase, if you like. The movies stood a step away from cinematic releases and moved into dive-ins and midnight showings, proving that strong visual horror was not for everyone. But for the fans, these years would bring some of the biggest films in the history of the genre. Theo, what do you think the sort of public reaction was to horror leaving the mainstream? Do you think a lot of people would have piped up and sort of took a step away from enjoying horror? Yeah, I see it as a genre that is inclined to get stale quite quickly, which yes. is why which is why it has to like change all the time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if it was sticking to the you know, it's it's uh I'm trying to think of the word doing the same thing, whatever. Yeah. yeah I feel like people weren't necessarily fussed about it taking the backseat for a while. Okay. Yeah. But I mean I'm sure yeah, there there's always fans that are like, Oh, I wish, you know, that it can't it comes back with something, you know, new and hitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think as well, I I feel like, maybe maybe it's tied in, maybe it's not connected at all, but I feel like this is the time period in America and in the UK as well, I'd say to be fair, when a lot of people begun to become more private in their lives. I feel like, you know, before this time, it was a lot of like, you know, you hear grandparents being like, we never locked our door, you know, we would walk into our neighbor's house. I feel like this sort of just stopped at this sort of time uh-huh. in history a lot of people sort of begun to realize the dangers you know they were taught their stranger danger in school and it became a more sort of especially with everything happening in the cold war it became a more sort of anxious and fearful time to live in i think and do you, right yeah you're right so do you think <laughs> that horror had to take a more gritty approach to really nail in the hard-hitting taboo subjects that couldn't be explored in big Hollywood releases. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad it did, because... So am I. I mean... Because we got some gems. You don't like zombie movies, right? No, I don't. I think that's when this came about, right, as well, like, during this time. Yeah, it started to become around, like, sort of this time, sort of the end of the atomic age, um, because they were basically results from nuclear fallout. That's what they were claiming. Okay. Right. What were you well, saying about Psycho? Really? I don't know. I was just like, was Psycho um, in this era? Was it earlier? Psycho was this era. Sure. Bit of Hitchcock. Oh, it is? Yeah. There you go. Was that maybe, not spearheaded maybe? I don't know. I mean, it could have done. I'm going to sure. go Probably. on here to talk about a little movie. Oh. This is one of my favorite movies. <gasps> a little cursed director um, who we don't really mention. But this oh. is one instance oh. of having to separate the art from the artist and just appreciate the movie that solidified what horror is today. In 1968, Roman Polinski's Hollywood debut, Rosemary's Baby, was released. 
This was a monumental film in horror, being the first full-length feature to be taken seriously by fans and critics alike, and becoming one of the earliest iterations of what we've now come to consider as the modern horror film. The film centres on Rosemary Woodhouse, an intelligent but naive young newlywed who, with her husband Guy, moves into an old apartment building in New York City. Their neighbours Minnie and Roman Castavet are eccentric and nosy but seemingly harmless, and after befriending them, Guy's acting career suddenly takes off. Rosemary's subsequent pregnancy, however, is fraught with difficulties. After reading a book that suggests that Roman is the son of an infamous Satanist, Rosemary begins to suspect that her neighbours have persuaded Guy to make a pact with the devil involving her unborn child in return for his professional success. Feeling helpless, she soon becomes consumed by paranoia. After giving birth at home under heavy sedation, Rosemary is told by Dr. Saperstein, a friend of the Castavets, that her baby has died. But upon hearing an infant's cries elsewhere in the building, she finds a coven of Satanists gathered in the Castavets apartment with Guy and her newborn son. Informed that Satan is the child's father, Rosemary initially reacts with horror but then seems to accept her role as a mother of the demon spawn. This film assisted in shifting the lens from the grand monster setting of the earlier Universal horror flicks and moving horror to a more grounded and domestic setting. A theme which, depressingly, has never lost its relevance, but was born out of a specific historical circumstance. Polinsky's adaptation. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...of the best-selling novel stayed faithful to the point of leaving most of the novel's dialogue intact, its underlying themes too which were concocted in a world in which women's reproductive health had started to become a central political issue. In 1960, the first oral contraceptive in the US was approved by the FDA. In 1965, Griswold First Connecticut ended state laws that could restrict access to the pill. In 1975, Roe v. Wade legalized abortion nationwide. As women's reproductive rights progressed, however, conservative Christianity inevitably reacted in fury. And it's within this tension that Rosemary's baby finds its otherworldly power. Theo. <laughs> what a film. Yeah. What a time for the film. What a what a blockbuster moment. Like, I don't right. think that movie could have came out at a better time. Mm, it can come out today, actually. See, when I, when I was researching <laughs> and I was reading more about the film, I'd done a little rewatch of it last night. And uh-huh. I started to realize how how much this film is referenced in life, in in culture, in in horror nowadays. Oh. 
Um, I remember. Um, have you seen Mother? It's a New York horror film. Yeah, with um, yeah, it's a bit of a mindfucky film. Yeah, yeah. The poster literally a direct reference to the poster for Rosemary's Baby. Is not just her face. It's her face with <laughs> no? the wee, like small prom. Oh, literally the poster of right. Rosemary's Baby just updated. I remember when it was coming out. There were loads of rumors that this was just like a direct remake. Obviously, it wasn't. Oh, but um, no, it definitely wasn't. <laughs> definitely wasn't. And I think as well, did they eat the baby? It's. Uh, I sound like a broken record, but art imitates life. So yeah. much. So much. Like I think that's what we're learning in this in this series. Yeah, this is my biggest <laughs> takeaway conclusion thus far that if it happens uh-huh. in the world, it's gonna happen in art. Like I'm expecting fully at this point in time a movie in about a year or two about five blokes trapped in a submarine that's running out of oxygen. I know it's gonna come. Oh yeah, I feel like isn't there not already so not me breaking, isn't there not something like that? Probably already. I think so. I haven't I don't know. seen anything on my mind, but I, I feel like it's probably something quite shit. Most, <laughs> most, most likely, and also like, I feel like this was the first sort of feminist horror film that really gave women and feminists a voice in horror. Before it seemed oh, yeah. to be very oh damsel in distress. It was very like oh the strong man will protect you. Don't worry. But this was the first time where the man had done her wrong. Uh-huh. You know, it was the first sort it's of like a female rage film. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of love it. And I feel like yeah. that's something that's explored a lot within this era of horror. You know, we do get, um, we get Carrie, which I mean, prime example. <gasps> oh of my god, female rage. We get. Um, <laughs> I don't even need to say anymore. We get Carrie. That tells you all. Obviously yeah. adapted by, well, from the Stephen King novel. Um, we then do a film. Then it had a sequel, then it had a remake, then it had another remake. Um, then it had a musical. It's a classic, classic film about yeah. religious also, trauma, which also at the same time reflected... Sorry, I love Carrie. I'm just getting on my wee spiral. It also reflected yeah. the sort of break from religion that American society was facing. Uh, yeah, I also feel like this started like the, the scary child genre. <laughs> I think it did. Of like, obviously... ooh, the baby... The, like the exorcist and like the omen and like just very much like satan yeah it was the very <laughs> it was the dawn of the sort of satanic films it was no longer um films that you could totally distance yourself you know in this in this day where these films were set where these films right. were produced most houses would have had a bible you know most houses would have went to yeah, church in and a it, time where like it suddenly brought horror into their houses which hadn't been done before oh yeah it, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I would. Be, ooh, like, if I was like a hyper Christian person in like the U.S. Yeah. And I hear about this fucking film. I think I would combust personally. Who combust? You would be so filled with rage about how like a child <laughs> or, like, an terrified like could be. Don't. <sighs> Amazing. Like how dare they? <laughs> shall I? Shall I tell you about my favorite film of the decade now? Perhaps the most monumental film to come out of this decade is 1973's The Exorcist, a household name in horror. The film, following a 12-year-old girl who is possessed with a mysterious entity, is groundbreaking for its production, distribution, marketing, and its use of special effects. Starring Linda Blair as Regan McNeil, 
The special effects were of utmost importance in relaying a story revolving around the possession of demons. Regan's head rotating 360 degrees, levitating off the bed and thrashing around furniture with kinetic powers were all things never before seen in horror, and caused a massive reaction to the film, with the film's UK release being banned in some areas after pressure from local authorities. In 1979, the BBFC asked to look at the film again to see whether some of the scenes involving the young actress Linda Blair might be vulnerable under the new Protection of Children Act of 1978, which made the distribution of indecent images of children illegal. After careful consideration, it was decided that the scenes in question were constructed specifically to avoid any such images, and the film was allowed to continue its ongoing and still popular late-night screenings. It wasn't only the effects or aesthetics of the film that would be a trailblazer, but also in its distribution and marketing. The distributors were quite skillful in reversing the inevitable negative response to the subject matter from its ticket buyers. To publicise a religious film, The Exorcist was released on December 26th to capture the religious faith of the Christmas holiday. The posters of The Exorcist, which were plastered everywhere, contained conventional semi... semiotic? semiotic elements of marketing. The big red title, The Exorcist, signifying danger and death, the distributor's logos and release dates are bold, an extreme contrast between light and dark elements in the design. The infamous picture of the priest takes up the entire poster, but the priest is in the middle, catching the spectator's eye. The man is holding a knife, showing that the genre of the film will be horror. One of many reasons that The Exorcist maintains its stature is because it was a first. If someone were to watch The Exorcist today, they might find the special effects rather elementary and maybe a little laughable. Still, if that viewer were around back then, with the novelty of something new and a certain collective innocence of the audience, they too would be barfing as they exit the film. The Exorcist, truly a monumental movie. May I say more? May you? May I? I might go on. What are, what are your thoughts um, on The Exorcist? Personally, have you seen it? Um, I've seen it, but like probably at this point five-ish years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and I enjoyed it. See, yeah. I mean, it, whenever you hear about this film, I feel like you always hear about the, the just the reaction. The reactions. Uh, the reactions. It. The audience reactions to it from then. Yeah. And I almost went into it being like, okay, this is probably going to be the scariest movie ever because people still say that. One hundred percent. But um, it, yeah, it was it was fucked, but it was like it was well fucked. Ooh, yeah. yeah and but I was well, like, enjoying. It. I don't know. Like, it, go for it. Sorry. I see. I see what you mean by like people saying that like it does seem maybe a bit dated at points, but yeah, yeah. It, it's all about perspective. Just put it into perspective, 100%. guys. One hundred percent, and also like I feel like it was the first horror movie to properly have a rollout strategy and technique. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk oh, like marketing too much rollout? in this series about sort of the marketing and distribution of horror, um, but I feel like when it's important, well, it has to okay. be talked about. Mm-hmm. And for this one, like they would book time on TV and radio talk shows for like yeah. religious preachers to come on and talk about how this movie was wrong because that all gained interest. <gasps> that all promoted the film in a way where, yeah. you know, Christian and religious people who protested the film thought that they were getting time. But in reality, it was just selling more tickets that, and yeah, creating that, more yeah. of a hype and a buzz around this film. 
So whenever you watch the movie Real and there scenarios. are those <laughs> quieter and slower moments, an audience would sit through that because it's been hyped up so incredibly, this film. Right. Do you know what I mean? It would make me go see it. It would but probably maybe make me see it. And fuck. honestly, I can't think in our day and age, in our lives, there has been no. a movie with such a huge, huge rollout connected to it. Maybe Barbie. Genuinely, you know, I feel like people <laughs> try. Oh, yeah, but no, yeah. <laughs> Love the Barbie promos. I'm really getting into it. Maybe Black Mirror. Black <laughs> Mirror are doing some interesting bits um, at the minute, but nothing, nothing really? at all comes close to the rollout of The Exorcist. And I will die on that. I hill. don't think. Yeah, we talked about it last episode. I think I don't think we can be surprised anymore. I feel like people have really tried with horror films, like t- yeah. t- maybe to a degree that's a bit too much. Right. In a way that it's like a bit like, oh come on, you're trying too hard. What was it like? Um, the the terrifier was it terrifier two? It came out like last year, oh, and it's just like completely him? horribly gory. But it's just not. It's but it's not really that effective t- yeah. to me because it's like I can tell that they're really trying hard to make us like be shocked, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just, it just doesn't. It comes across a bit corny. Yeah. No, you know, I, I, it's, I it's hard to have like a genuine like reaction that people would have had then. Like, no, I don't know. I agree. I think it's that, and I also think I said last episode as well that we, as an audience, as a civilization, as society, are so desensitized now. That it, it's 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 yeah. hard to shock us. It's hard to make us feel what a naive, vulnerable audience would have felt way back then watching these masterpieces play out on cinema. Do you know, like. Mm-hmm. It's just so far removed from me that I can't even imagine really how they would have reacted. Yeah, I know. Which shame. is such a I think shame. My... Yeah. When did it come out again? Uh seventy-three 19... was the Exorcist, I believe. Off the top of my right. Head, okay. No, I feel like I, I don't know. Maybe it was a family member or something said they saw it. I'm not sure, but but I'm like, yeah, I think. Maybe I'm misremembering. I think we're my maybe it was like an aunt or uncle or something. And they yeah, they they were like saying about how much it like like fucking yeah. like people were in that in that cinema like screaming and like actually terrified. Which is mad to me because like The Exorcist yeah. is one of my comfort films. I watch it to relax. <laughs> and it's so strange. <laughs> God. Me sitting watching Repent. it on my laptop with like a takeaway. Like just chilling at the end of the night. It's such a good Don't film, know. I recommend it. But um, it's so different, like, and far removed. Me watching the exact same film that people were fainting and collapsing at years ago. Yeah. It's so... It's so strange how a horror film (laughs) is so off the time and place. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it's only been, like... Well, actually, it's... 50 years, maybe? It it has been 50 years, actually. Yeah. But yeah, like... Even... uh, Like, quick turnaround. It's massive. People have really went, like... Okay. And it's like, what age would my grandparents have been then? Like, they would have been about my age, maybe? Um, and... Oh, really? God, my grandparents would have been, like, 30-something. I don't know. <laughs> maybe? Young yeah. family things. Um, no, my grandparents would have been my age. And it's mad to think, like, a movie that would have distressed them and traumatised them to see. I just, like, watch on the exactly, off chance for yeah. a nice wee evening. <laughs> it's so funny. My grandmother, my grandmother's actually quite religious. I wonder what her thoughts are on it because oh, she was definitely her. alive. <laughs> yeah. Um. As well, I also want to talk about like the key. What do you well, think of the key sorry. themes of this era of horror, nineteen sixty nine to nineteen seventy nine? 
there's a lot of I'm sorry, we <laughs> just had a thought. Go for it. I probably wouldn't know what they thought because my grandmother it was a different one actually, also very religious, thought fucking Father Ted was blasphemous, so I think Oh yeah. I would have an she idea would have been protesting of what they the exorcist. Anyway, sorry, you can say your question again. Yeah, no, I was just asking, like, what do you think about, like, the key themes explored in this decade? Like, obviously you have sort of religious turmoil, you have the breakdown of the family unit. It's all sort of things that I feel like America and Western society were so desperately trying to cling on to. And they were slowly falling out of their grasp. Yeah, the nuclear family, and it's at risk. Like <laughs> horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I I think me and you both like the whole religious horror aspect of the most. Right. There's something about it. Um, I grew up quite religious. So that's what I really so did a lot of our friends. And Okay. I didn't really at all. Well, I say religious. <laughs> we all believed in God, we went to church and stuff like that, but we weren't like a strict Christian household or anything like that. Um some right. of our friends were a lot more strict, we know who. Um yeah, <laughs> but I feel like because of that, and because I would, I would go to Sunday school and I would, you know, learn about God and oh. Jesus and the little Bible, and then I would come home and watch Carrie the on TV. Bible. And <laughs> it was so, it was such a strange, pray little weird girl dynamic to grow up in because I was seeing you know, what was preached to me, and then immediately I would go home and I would watch a movie. The horrors of it. Um, to my, by, by my choice, I would watch a movie. And also, I wasn't forced to go to church, it was also by my choice. I had friends there, it was nice. Um, but I would watch it, and yeah, <laughs> see, I, I would see the dangers and the exploitation thing. of it, and I would go, maybe this isn't right. It was a lot of thoughts yeah. for a ten-year-old. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot <laughs> like, of thoughts. From... Learning about God and like, uh, like going home and like watching satanic films. Yay! <laughs> be like, ooh, this is good. This is better me. This is really, this is such good brain food. It really was. Brain. I grew so much in those informative years. Like yeah. three foot or something, I grew. It was mad. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that's all. I want to sort of hee hee ha ha and kiki and kaka about um for the little oh, kiki kaka <laughs> kiki kaka um <laughs> I feel like that's all I really have to say about those gorgeous gorgeous years of horror before I set off on a tangent once yeah. again um it's put me in the mood to watch some I'm not gonna lie it's such a definitive era of horror and it's the one that I truly find the scariest. You know, yeah. before it, you're talking these big, like, outlandish monster movies, after it, you're talking these campus slasher films. This, to me, is the mm. golden age of horror. This is when it's at its scariest, it's at its most vulnerable, and it really, really works its way inside your mind. And to me, right. that's what makes a perfect, perfect horror film. Well, you've ended that well. Thank you. <laughs> so, obviously, with the election of Ronald Reagan in 1980, Horror films would then take on a new face, but as they existed in the 1970s, they provide significant insight into what anxieties and fears Americans were facing at the time, and how young Americans in particular addressed the trauma that they grew up surrounded by. So, before we wrap things up, we have a little announcement to make. Oh yeah, if you follow us over on the Instagram, Instagram, at one and a half gays, (laughs) you will know that Earlier in the year, a month ago to be exact, 
we announced a giveaway yeah. for a limited edition t-shirt with a gorgeous, gorgeous <gasps> graphic of the series designed by yours truly. And it's the third one to ever exist. Theo has oh, yeah. one. I have one. We wear it with pride. And we have a little <laughs> giveaway over on the Instagram for one of our lovely, lucky listeners to win one for themselves. And, and to be the adopted queer of one and a half gays. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> one and, and yeah. <laughs> so, Theo and I are thrilled to announce that the winner of this prestigious garment that will be shown at the Met Gala next year uh, is... Is... Should we do a drum roll? Oh, okay. Oh. Dana O'Connell! No, I think it's just Dana O'Connell. <laughs> it's not Dana O'Connell? No. Oh, I need to reread this her username. Dana Connell. Well, Dana Connell. Yeah. Dana O'Connell. Congrats. D- You're a winner. <laughs> Woo! Congrats. Yay. Woo! Um, so, yeah. I bet you're jealous you aren't Dana right now. I know you would be. But head over to our Instagram. Drop us a follow. Drop us a like, a comment, and a share. And who knows? We may have some <laughs> even spookier giveaways upcoming for the rest of the yeah, series. So, stay in touch. Stay groovy, stay vibrant, stay good. And thank you for joining us through this quick but monumental period in the history of horror. Next week, Theo and I are going to take a look at the splatter and dark age of horror, commenting on the blockbuster hits of the 1980s, (gasps) the tremendous final girl trope, and the more nuanced horror that the 1990s revealed to us. But until then, sleep tight. Like scary movies, Sydney. We're all afraid of the same. Death, pain, injury, all of it is the same. Which makes a movie that deals in our fears universal. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.